Maka. It's Christmas Day, and I'm Cindy Paulus, and this is The Travel Show. And I thought, what better way to celebrate Christmas than to talk to Pastor Rob Finberg here, who's in the studio, and he is going to talk about his experiences in Jerusalem and his upcoming trip that he's taking to Israel. And uh, welcome. Thank you very much, Cindy. It's welcome. great to be here. Back with you. <laughs> yeah, you. Christmas Eve. Always a special at your place. You do a lovely ceremony there. We uh, do an outdoor candlelight service, and uh, so we did that. Uh, we do that in the evening, seven o'clock, and uh, everybody's welcome. It's under the tent, right across from Long's in the Kulamalu shopping. Well, area. today being Christmas Day, I hope it all was good last night. Oh yeah, <laughs> I guess it was. It's, it's okay. We I, maybe we should tell the truth. This was pre-recorded because we both. We're going to take Christmas Day off. So I'm hoping the weather was good last night. <laughs> We're going to, in the sake of honesty, because we are talking about Christmas. We act, I hardly ever take days off, but on Christmas Day, yes. I, so, so, but it's wonderful to see you. Actually, it's funny. I was in Serpico's. I go there every Sunday, and, and I saw you. I hadn't seen you in a while, and um, you know, I said, you know, you got to come down and do a Christmas show. I love it. There's no happier time of the year, and there's no better subject than talking about Israel and Jerusalem and where Bethlehem, where it all began. Well, let's start with you and where it all began with you before we get into that, because um, you have an interesting history, and I love the show you do here. You have taught me and so many people about Hawaiian history from a totally different perspective than I ever could have imagined. Yeah, it's been a remarkable journey for me as well. I've lived most of my life in Hawaii. I was a resident of the island of Kauai. Uh, my mother was there and sisters. And so it was family to me over there. I came here after I got married. And the way I got married was making a trip to Israel. met the girl of my dreams over there in Jerusalem, city of romance, uh-huh. much more romantic in Jerusalem. I, I than never Paris. thought of Jerusalem as a city of romance. <laughs> I thought of it as many things, but for you it was. Oh, uh, definitely was. A beautiful woman you met. And that, that love story is a story. I keep thinking you should make that into a book because just uh, the I story should. of you and, it, and you know, it would actually make a great movie. It really would. We'll call it my big fat Persian wedding. <laughs> <laughs> you met yeah. a lovely lady there. Yes. Uh, in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, yes. She had finished up her degree in uh, pharmacy at Hadassah Hospital, and uh, she uh, was staying at the hotel that her uncle owned. And when I was on a tour, a study tour with a group of pastors, it was my first trip to Israel, I saw this young woman standing there at the elevator waiting, as I was, and uh, the rest, they say, is history. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was very interested in talking with her. And, of course, being from the Middle East, she was not that excited about talking to a stranger Mm -hmm. uh, without a proper introduction. Uh, But uh, nevertheless, uh, I endured, and and she more endured, and we started to correspond. Of course, you cannot get further away from Israel than Hawaii. It's pretty far. It's 12 time zones. Is it 12 time zones? Like Europe, yeah. Going east or west, same distance. Mm So I had started to correspond, and uh, we... Uh, would call occasionally, very expensive back then in mm. the 80s. But uh, we uh, we stayed in touch, and then she made a trip to Hawaii. Mm. And I did made she a few more it? trips. Was, she did, yes. It, uh, it was a wonderful thing. I was pastoring at that time on Kauai, and we had many people that were uh, friends of the congregation and mine that said, oh, if you ever want to go on a helicopter ride or 
kayaking mm-hmm. or horseback riding or anything. So I had not taken advantage of any of those until Nora mm-hmm. came. Mm-hmm. And then we were just every day doing the adventures of Kauai and falling in love with Hawaii. You know, we who live here don't take advantage of it. I have never been on a helicopter ride over Hawaii. Cindy, you've got to do it. This is a special place. I I haven't done a helicopter ride over the big island. You know, know, you're right. I mean, we don't. We don't take advantage of it. So I think it's wonderful. And and it it seemed like it's really destiny in a way, too, because – this kind of laid the foundation for all the trips you've taken and are continuing That's to right. take, take to Israel. How many times have you gone now? Well, I've been five, which is not a lot. There are people on the island who have been many more times. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm always meeting people that when they hear that I am putting together a group to go to Israel, uh-huh. they say, oh, yeah, I went last week, last mm-hmm. year, last wow. month. And uh, how many times have you gone? Seven, 17, 27. You know, it's just amazing. You would think it was in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But – I, I tell you this, an attraction, once you go there, you find an attraction to the land that mm. you did not expect. Now, I didn't expect you to say the land. Yes, because uh, it's a, it's, I haven't been able to find the words over the years to describe it, but it, it impacts you at several different levels. And one of them, especially being an American and even more so living in the islands, we don't have a great – interaction with antiquity. Mm, you're right. And, uh, you know, if you go to the mainland, you find a building that's 150 years old. It's mm-hmm. old. It's mm-hmm. considered, you know, something uh, very extraordinary. But you go to Europe and people are living in houses that are 500 years old. Yeah. And so... And pubs. And pubs. And, and libraries and buildings. Of course. And then there's the ruins of... Yeah, yeah thousands yeah. of years. And, mm-hmm. and But Europe... Uh, with all the antiquity that's there, is nothing compared to the to the Middle East. As you head on down, I mean, I've been to Greek, Greece now a couple mm-hmm. of times. Again, yeah. you look at these things, and wow. And you go to Egypt, and it's like, my gosh. Yeah. 2000 oh, BC, yeah. 3000 BC, and all of a sudden, right. you know, even China. You go yeah. back, and it's like, my God. And you do, you're right. You get a totally different sense of history. So, And that, that I don't know. And you're a history buff. so Well, I am now, but I, <laughs> I wasn't then, and I was... A terrible history student had no. I didn't know that. Well, oh, horrible! Really? You know, there was no connection. Uh huh. And that's what I enjoy about nineteenth century Hawaii. It's all very connected. Uh huh. And that's why I started taking interest in learning more because it was uh, like a pinball game. Every time you found a person, then you found uh-huh. an event that was related to mm-hmm. another person to another person, and it was just going. Well, that's what's happening wow. with this ancestry DNA now. They yes. become so popular. It's the very same much. thing. They find one person, then they find the connection. To right. the and, no. But what I love about your shows, can I call you Rob? Yes, of okay. course, please do. What I love about your shows is the fact that you actually feel like you know these people and you convey that. Now I understand more why, because you do feel that connection. You do. Because you talk about them as if they're friends, you know, yeah. and you know a lot about the interaction and what it led mm-hmm. to. So it makes it fascinating. Now, have you gotten to that point? In Israel, that well, you're very, starting to feel that way. Yes, in, in 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 so many ways, you read something in the in the Bible, and you just say, "Oh, well, that yeah. was nice that Hezekiah built a wall." Yeah. But when you go to Israel, then you can actually put your hands on the very wall that was referred to in the Bible, mm-hmm. and it is a, a sensation that uh, of not nostalgia or reminiscence, but it it's. 
it's actually at a more profound level than that. You feel so connected. Mm. The scripture is to many people uh, historic, historical and mm. reliable. But that it becomes tangible is the next level. And mm. you're seeing uh, when we were there the last trip in November, a year ago November, we were there in the uh, – we went up into the city of Jerusalem through a waterway entrance on the lower elevation coming up into the city. And then you realize when David had initially led his army into the city of Jerusalem, he took that identical path. And you're on the path that David and the warriors entered the city of Jerusalem. It was Mm. a unprotected area of the city, of the Mm. walled city, because, of course, it had to allow the water to through flow through. So you're going up into this area and you know that David's footsteps were in that tunnel. And it's just, it does something to you. Mm -hmm. It it makes, of course, the Bible alive. That's probably the most common thing I hear when people go to Israel. Oh, Mm -hmm. the Bible came alive. The Bible came alive. Mm -hmm. Well, I always thought the Bible was alive to me. Mm. But you go there, you see the, uh, well, it's Christmas. So we're talking about the manger. You are actually in the, the manger where Jesus was born on earth. He, uh, I always thought the manger was those uh, little lean-tos that you see in the manger scene out in front of church. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out historically accurate depiction is that most mangers that, or stables for animals were in caves. And yes. the Jerusalem and Bethlehem area, honeycomb with limestone caves. Mm-hmm. So they have, uh, by all reports located the exact cave that was the manger where Jesus was born. And Catherine, uh, Constantine's mother, uh, became a Christian and was very excited about that, made a pilgrimage to Israel and built a church over that manger. So you go into this enormous... The church of the Holy Sepulchre? Church of, uh, not the Holy Sepulchre, oh. but the Nativity. Nativity. The other there is a church of the Holy right, Sepulchre. Right, where the Last Supper. Where, right. Right. And so the the church of the Nativity, it's a massive building, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Back then, they didn't have the engineering uh, uh, techniques that we do to have, uh, you know, elegant, de- uh, delicate buildings. But they have this massive structure. And so you wind your way through, and it's... It's a, you know, pretty much what you'd expect in a, in an Orthodox church and a Catholic church, but they take you all the way through it, and underneath the altar, a little tiny staircase of maybe a dozen steps goes down into this cave area, and when I got into that the first time, because I revisit it every time I go, when you when you are down there, it just brings together all your impressions about God becoming a helpless baby. Depending on an earthly mother to care for him, meet his needs, feed him, uh, care for him, protect him. And and this was the site where God allowed uh, mankind to take care of him. This is where Jesus was born. You know, I I studied this, and, and I'm so glad you brought up the cave and being there, but I never thought of him as a helpless baby before, Rob. I never <laughs> in my life. And I've, when I meditate and I pray, I try to think of Christ being right there with me yeah. and, and, and actually in my heart and with me. But I, maybe it's well, because I'm 
doing it that way that I've never thought of him because I'm thinking of in, in his light body and his existence right now mm-hmm. yeah. coming to me. I've never thought of him as a helpless baby. Yeah, and he, that change, that that's a whole that's it is a whole thing. It, it's a whole different concept. because you know for me because I had no Christian background whatsoever in my life. Could that uh, explain the name Finberg? <laughs> yes, it could <laughs> okay. very much. And so I not being aware, but to think that. I mean, it was a big step for me to move from my philosophy that God was somehow out there as a force, you know, kind of Star Wars theology, uh, to the place where God actually cared about us and knew us personally. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big step for me. Yeah. That, you know, God's got a lot on his plate. Why would he care about a person <laughs> like me? You just— you know, whatever it is. He's got God a is vast in universe. you. God is yeah, that spark of that's it. in you. You are part of God. That's it. God well, created you. I, I I, kind of made that so sterile and objective mm. that, that you know, there's no point to pray because, you know, he's, he's, really? he's running. I, really? I used to think that. Wow. And then when I came to the realization that God was personal, he mm-hmm. did know me, he would answer my prayers, then... The next step was, what did he do for me? And uh, oh, and I'm not I'm, well. Ego. I'm not I'm not not on a demanding end, no, but know, just but as <laughs> as the story is unfolding, what did he do? Well, of course, we know he died on the cross for us, but he also came to Earth. Yeah. Now, all the problems that we yeah. complain about yeah. in life, all the injustice, all of the hardships, all of the bad weather, all of all that we have here compared to what was there 2,000 years ago. Right. But then again, if I, I was comparing it to heaven where there were no problems, oh, no yeah. disease, no sickness, oh, no, no sorrow, no death, and no you know war. What? The thing that is so amazing to me when I think about that is that it's not a mistake. Absolutely aware of what, what uh, really barbaric conditions mm-hmm. this yes. manifestation was going to be yeah. brought about. Absolutely right. aware, 100 percent. I believe also at the very time and before his birth that this was going to be also the death. I, I don't have yeah. any doubts that this no, wasn't he all, all he, aware that this was going to happen. He all, it was um, all and, and the part that I've yeah. got to bring up because this was a, an element in me I never expected to happen, which was my awareness of Mother Mary and the role she played. And I never expected to have. I've always, you know, honored her and absolutely loved the pictures. And I go and, and loved taking pictures of her and always honored her, knowing that she was actually more than she was ever given due, I think partly because of the history of the Catholic Church and mm-hmm. what Peter had this issues with women. <laughs> I think, you know, he just had some <laughs> issues with women. So it was like, and that trickled down to women not being priests, et cetera. But, but Mother Mary, when she came to me, so brilliant and so beautiful and actually mm-hmm. manifesting stars, I became aware of the power of this amazing divine being that healed that was aware that was totally the teacher of mm-hmm. uh and you said cared for the teacher Caregiver. of jesus and yeah. totally um experienced a complete union with god and was able to experience that enough to be totally present and aware yeah. of the role she was playing without i even get upset when i hear the song mary did you know because i believe she absolutely knew mm-hmm. Um, and how could she not experience the angel and the Holy Spirit and God right. and not know, right? Well, she had come, you know, of course, the angel had announced that she was going to be bearing this child. Mm-hmm. And talk about responsibility. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and sacrifice. 
and sacrifice. And, of course, the stigma that went along with it because right. she was only betrothed to Joseph, not married. And 14 years old, according to the story. Probably, yes. Yeah. Young. I mean, that's that Young. was standard marrying age back yeah. then. <laughs> so, yes. And, and she said that in her uh, encounter with the angels. She said, well, who am I, in mm-hmm. effect, to, to be the bearer of God's son? So uh, she was in awe of that and uh, in the fullest sense of the word. And uh, must have been quite a remarkable person to uh, been chosen. But that all came together, and now just bring full circle around to the Church of the Nativity. You're at that place where this frightened young 14-year-old bears her first child, Mm -hmm. and she's with Joseph, whom she's betrothed to but not married to. There's no room at the inn, and you're in that place, and somehow you're easily able to connect with the whole wonder of the birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's one among dozens of emotional encounters that you have when you visit Israel. Mm-hmm. And it, it's wonderful. Well, it, it's the living spirit of that energy uh, uh, that I think was transformed at the time mm-hmm. of Christ's birth. Um, and of course, then um, all the prophets and things that have happened there since then, of course, and even before the birth of Christ, it was you think of, you say, David and, 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 you know, of course, St. John the Baptist. All these these beings, it's not just Christ. There's this amazing energy that's happened yeah. there for a certain reason. I mean, I travel a lot, you travel a lot. You've been to places mm-hmm. that have this power that are beyond the normal places on yes. the earth. That, that definitely, and of course, I think Haleakalash, you know. In no. some of these places where there is this special power where you can feel time and space shift a little bit, right? It is. I've been there. I remember the first time I traveled to Europe. Was uh, I was 18 years old, and I came in touch with some uh, sites that were impressive, uh, London Bridge or the Tower of London or the canals of Amsterdam or uh, the different places, Paris, Berlin. You'd, I traveled in, and it all impressed me uh, that these were the origins. And it was at that time I realized what a poor student in history I was. I said, you know, I, I've heard about this. I don't remember what it was, but I, I've heard of this place. And I need to go back and find out what I missed. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> but, it's different, again, being there, even looking at history that way yeah, as well. Yeah, it is. Very different. When you but go I, to Notre Dame and you go to some of these right. places and you go to some places that 17th century, these were people who were giving up their lives, some of them at the time, and all of the, the history of the Christians, of course. And, yeah. and, and that goes into sideways. I'm not going to go there <laughs> too yeah. much. But I know what you're going to say. All of that brings you to the point of like why was this place so very very special and i never will forget and i've only been there once the light and the energy the vibration there is a special yeah especially in jerusalem i mean there are other places that are special but jerusalem especially it is and and there are so many different things that appeal to you i want to say that too for those that have been to israel they may say Oh, they were at the Church of the Nativity, and it didn't mean what it to them what it meant to me as mm-hmm. I just described it. And I understand that because there were sites that the people were very excited about that I was with, but mm-hmm. I myself didn't have their same level of excitement. Uh-huh. And then conversely, there were sites that I was very excited about where they were just mildly impressed. <laughs> so it's a totally subjective thing. But I could say this, even though it's subjective to what you encounter while you're in Israel, 
the overall experience is beyond anything that you're going to experience elsewhere. And you're going in March. The very, very end of March. Uh, oh, actually, we moved it. I'm sorry. We, we moved it to the very end of May. Oh, the beginning of up. June, yes. Oh, okay. We found the, the weather is better. It's after the holiday season. The prices are lower. Oh. And we uh, pride ourselves in good making prices. it affordable. Absolutely. We good. had an excellent tour when we went last November. Uh, it was, well, I don't know, about $3,200, and that included airfare wow. all the wow. way from Maui. It included all the hotels and all the site entry fees and transportation, mm-hmm. beautiful air-conditioned bus and tour guide. Everything was included. Uh, in fact, the taxes and tips were included as well. Unbelievable. It was a very, very good so deal. What so are you, what date are you going now? The the date I can't tell you, but I can tell you that if if anyone is listening that is mm-hmm. interested, considering... I'm considering. Okay. I know you are. So <laughs> uh, what, what we would like you to do is to just uh, give us some contact information. And that's easy to do on the on the web. Our email is church at maui.net, church at maui.net, easy to find. Or you can call us at 572-8384, our phone number, 572-8384, Grace Church. And you can say, uh, I'm interested, I'd like to know more, and we'll send you brochures, we'll send you contact information. I contacted the travel agent to nail down the dates, mm-hmm. and uh, she's juggling a certain... Uh, a few things we want to get the best of the airlines and the best of the hotel rates and so on so mm-hmm. uh it's going to be around june 1st we'll find out exactly it'll be for 12 days 12 days and it'll good. include everything mm-hmm. and you just need lunch money because we're out and about so mm-hmm. you might want to get a falafel at a, at a local stand or something and you might want to buy gifts i'm sure mm-hmm. But um, the rest of the expenses, everything, hotel, taxes, tips, transportation, airfare, will all be included. I want to go for sure. I, I oh, how many years? It was about 22 years ago was the last time I was there. Maybe 25, and it's been too long. Um, I do have to bring up the situation, and because this is a very current situation that's sure. happening with the ruling of the latest Trump ruling. And the moving of the embassy to mm-hmm. Jerusalem and the ruling that Jerusalem is now the capital of Israel. And that was supposedly at the request of Pence that was because that the conservative Christians wanted that. I'm still confused about that whole thing. Okay, uh, Maybe you can give uh, us your a insight A little bit, because that's a very popular question. I think it, it does come up all the time. People have been stopping me literally on the street and mm-hmm. saying, what do you think about it? Uh, first of all, uh, presidents uh, as far back as um, Jimmy Carter have talked about moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama did. Uh, uh, George Bush did. Bill Clinton did. So it's nothing new about moving it. They they all talk about it. It should be moved, so on and so forth. So that was uh, one end of it. It's nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, the The second thing is surprisingly, uh, and it's underreported, but there are a number of nations that have applauded the fact that the embassy, the American embassy, is moving to Jerusalem. Among them, this may be a surprise to some, Saudi Arabia. They're very pleased to hear it. Jordan, who has been at war with Israel, they were pleased to hear the American embassy was moving to Hmm. Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Czechoslovakia, um, their delegation said that they were in favor of it. Uh, Several others. Uh, now, we've heard about the European 14 nations that were against it, but that's not 
Um, that's not surprising uh, for some other reasons, which we won't go into. But um, as, as far as Israel is concerned, they're very happy and delighted about it. There are great celebrations in Israel. Uh, it's always been their capital. It, mm-hmm. There's nothing new since statehood in 1948. Their Knesset, which is their parliament, has been located there. And by the way, just to interject this, one of the things that is a not-to-be-missed event is to go when parliament is in session in Jerusalem to have the tour people stop there because it is one lively place. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You know the old saying, uh-huh. two Jews, you have three opinions? They have over 60 <laughs> political parties in Israel. 60. Oh, no. How could you ever get an agreement? Well, you don't. And yeah. so there's all these coalitions. And mm-hmm. so the super orthodox are uh, in cahoots with the super liberal um, and the secular people, and they make all these coalitions. And the cleverness of the politicians there is not to give an appealing presentation to the public, but to work with all of these disparate groups and bring them together to make a coalition government. So that's what Netanyahu has done, kept him in in the position of prime minister longer than anyone else has ever been. Mm-hmm. But no, it, it's a lively place. There's very little agreement. There's uh, a, a lot. The, the miracle is that anything gets done in Israel. <laughs> that's the surprise. But back to the situation, um, the, the population of... Uh, Jews in Jerusalem, in Western Jerusalem, has been in the vast majority about, um, oh, I don't know, 600,000 Jews compared to oh, maybe 40,000 Palestinians in West Jerusalem. Uh, in East Jerusalem, it's largely Palestinian, but that's not where the embassy is going to be located. It'll be in the Western Jerusalem, where the capital has been since 1948. So, uh, Let's talk about it. It's uh, been on the American agenda for many, many presidents, and now it's uh, now it's been talked about as uh, as a deadline. There is um, a, there is a reaction in the Palestinian community, mm-hmm. and I, I don't really know how to uh, present that um, in a way that um, will be reassuring to your listeners, but. Having traveled to Israel five times and having uh, been recently there, I could tell you that there is a lot more harmony between Palestinians and Israelis than you would think. Really? Hearing the news. Like, for instance, we stayed at hotels who were primarily Palestinian staffed. And uh, all of our people, local people, you know, from the islands, they all got along great. Our bus driver was Mohammed. He was a, a Palestinian. We just had a great time with him. People now are in touch with him on Facebook and uh, corresponding. Now, he's a Palestinian bus driver, and standing next to him is is an Israeli tour guide. And they make jokes with one another, and they carry on. And, uh, you know, we were kind of shaking our heads like, where is all this turmoil Mm -hmm. we heard about that's supposed to be happening? Uh, When I went to Israel in the 1990s, the Intifada had started. And so we're going through the streets of Bethlehem, and the tour guide said, you've heard about the Intifada. Yeah, that's right. Where is that? We wanted to see where is this supposed to be happening. He said, it happens right here. I said, right here? You're driving our bus through the Intifada zone? Well, yes, but you don't have anything to worry about because all of the Intifada activists are in school. Hmm. I said, what do you mean in school? 
So most of the rock throwing is done by 14, 15 wow. year old kids. Really? And they're in school, and so there's no action. When school's out, then they'll come and they'll protest one thing or another. So we drove right through the heart of it. Even in this last trip, we went to Bethlehem. There was supposed to be a checkpoint because you remember hearing that, that the Israelis had built a wall. There had been so many terrorist attacks. So you see the wall there. So we are going on the other side of the wall to get to Bethlehem. And we're told to bring our passports. So we're thinking passports. I thought we're all in Israel, Bethlehem, Israel, right? So we bring our passports. We go through the checkpoint expecting to be stopped. Nobody's there. (laughs) So they didn't think it was serious enough to even stop and check who's coming in and out. Hmm. So it – Again, you know, it's just so different than the yeah. impressions you would get from listening to the news. I remember when I was there 22 years ago, I was shocked that there wasn't. I, re- I was really shocked that it was like, well, I'm not seeing anything that Any I can imagine in my mind yeah. in the news. And I know that happens often enough in so many places where they supposedly say there's these terrorists and things happening. And you, a mile away or two miles away, there's absolutely fine situations. But So I can mm. understand it. I can understand it. Um, but we always see, you know, in the news stories, it's bigger than life, and it's huge, and it's very concerning. But um, the reality is, the real um, yes, and 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 that's tragic because you know I have Palestinian friends. I've stayed with Palestinian mm-hmm. friends over there when I was with the Rotary Club on Kauai. We hosted people from Israel, and they put Israelis in different homes. And a couple of Palestinians that came with the Israelis, they. They stayed in homes, and the fellow that stayed in my home was a Palestinian. Hmm. And so when I traveled to Israel in one of my subsequent trips, we stayed together, met his family. It was a great time. Hmm. I mean, you cannot find warmer, more hospitable people Mm -hmm. than in the Arab culture in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. They will do anything for their guests. Hmm. And uh, it's just – it's a delight to know them. And when you get there and you see Palestinians' friends with Israelis and Israelis' friends – the hotel, a mixture of people, mm-hmm. uh, just it's just not what you'd expect. And I don't know if the news is being deliberate or about what they present, or if they're just highlighting, you know, when there's bad news. I, I don't know, but well, I can tell you, they are sent there at great expense to do a story, mm. and unless it's dramatic, this maybe is my that's opinion. it. Yeah, unless yeah. it's newsworthy, they're not. Yeah. it's not worth. Spending all the money they spend to get them there, and the more dramatic and it is, the more it gets more attention, and they want attention right. to the story. I think, and I think that happens a lot. You know, um, it's very it tunnel focused, not necessarily on the whole picture, but a, a small piece of the puzzle of the picture. Yeah. But obviously, so. at Christmas today, and all around the world, a lot of people will be thinking about Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Yeah. They'll be thinking of of the history, the story. I mean, probably you know that's when most people go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it, it's very that and Easter, you know. There are great times to go. Uh, depends on what you want. Uh, you know, for for the five times I've made the trip over there, I prefer the off season. I agree. Uh, yeah. Not only for the economic reasons and the better hotel rates and so forth, but. There's virtually no lines anyway. When you go with a tour, you get VIP treatment. You're ushered into these sites. You don't wait in line to buy a ticket to gain entrance. So there's not a big delay. But still, it's nice to be in Caesarea where there are, uh, where the Colosseum is empty. Or it's nice mm-hmm. to be in the Church of the Nativity yeah. and not be rushed through the manger. 
or uh, be it Golgotha in the garden tomb mm-hmm. uh, and experience that without seeing crowds of people. So yeah. that's why we we think, number one, off-season for less crowds, less money. And then, of course, you have the great weather. We were in November. Uh, it was before it had turned cold. It was delightful. Uh, you could ask, I mean, these are all Hawaiian people that are coming mm-hmm. with us, right? And they could have found it uncomfortably cold by comparison, but mm-hmm. they didn't. Every day was delightful. There was virtually no rain that happened in November, although it was expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, June is that way. It's a dry time of the year, but not a hot time of the year. It's not like August, which in some sites that you go to see, like Masada. Uh, Masada is down in the Dead Sea area. Uh, you could get hot in August, over 100 degrees, mm-hmm. and be unpleasant. But June is a nice time. The end of May, June, perfect time. I've been reading some of the Aramaic versions of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and truthfully, that's one mm-hmm. of the places I've always been curious about. I mean, honestly, if I had the chance, I'd love to wander in the desert for a few days. Yeah. Not Maybe not 40 <laughs> days, but, you know, for a while, um, just to yeah. experience the energy down there oh, yeah. at the caves. Is it Qumran? Qumran, right. Qumran. That was, in my opinion, of the 40 or so different sites that you have a chance to visit, that was one of the most impressive. Really? Yeah, it's... Um, it's a combination of the geography. It's it's a desolate area. The the Dead Sea has been receding, receding, receding. Mm-hmm. The Israelis have redirected the Jordan River into the f- fields of for ag- agricultural reasons, and it's left the replenishing of the Dead Sea uh, to um, inadequate measures. So evaporation has taken the Dead Sea uh, to withdraw it from its banks. Something like a hundred. Oh. 100 feet below the sea level it used to be. Wow. It has really gone down. And you'll see it when you go there because the hotels they built as resort hotels to be on the Dead Sea, that's where you put the mud all over your body and get rejuvenated. Well, now these hotels, you need a little bus or a shuttle to take you down to the water because the water's receded and the hotels, of course, have stayed put. Uh, But getting back to the Qumran community – that was probably the most significant archaeological find of all time. They have, in that one find, uh, validated that the scripture that we have today is accurate. There was not one paragraph of the Dead Sea Scrolls related to the scripture that was corrupted. Not one line, not one sentence, not one word. A few spelling changes. But finding that just gave such assurance to the people that trust in the scriptures that this is an accurate record. It's been handed down without corruption for thousands of years. And those Dead Sea scrolls were put in the caves at Qumran about 125 years before Jesus' birth. So those scriptures that Jesus quoted were the same scriptures that were available in the Qumran community which validated the scriptures that we have today. So there was no... Were they, that's the Essenes? Where the, the Essenes, Essenes were, were there. Right. Now, the Essenes, well, in that part of the country, there's not a lot of ways to make a living. And Jews were always respectful of the written word. Mm. And so this community, uh, aside from whatever their other practices were, because they had some unique hygiene practices... They were devoted to the transcription of the scriptures. And that's big money. It was big money back then. It's big money today. 
for instance, our local synagogue uh, acquired a, a Torah scroll uh, that was um, a, quite a gift. I remember the celebration at the synagogue. Why? Because to go out and to purchase one, they have to be handwritten. They have to be checked. It has to be on a particular type of parchment and has to have a quality level of perfection. And they will sell for in excess of a quarter of a million dollars. Really? Yeah. So back then, of course, there weren't Xerox machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a plug for Xerox mm-hmm. necessarily. But uh, they they were handwritten and they mm-hmm. were carefully on checked. Lamb? On lamb? On lamb, lamb parchment, yeah. yeah. And uh, what's amazing about it is that the Essenes chose the right locale for low humidity. Mm-hmm. And so putting them in the earthen jars with a seal on them, these did not deteriorate, not in a year or 10 years or 100 years. These were preserved for over 2,000 years. In, as I remember, in, <clears throat> in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, there's a a museum where right. you can see some of the original. Yes. Um, which is pretty impressive when you can see the originals, of course, under glass. And, yeah. um, of course, they have all kinds of souvenirs you can get there, too. I don't know what yeah. happened to I bought a few of those Dead Sea Scroll copy things. And, yeah. Um, but it, it, it is fascinating. And then I believe they found even more scriptures. They have. Well, it's not, it's not more scripture. It, if, um, if the uh, accounts of the... Um, unearthing of these scrolls are are to be trusted there were different um it's like different sections of the library mm-hmm. when it came to scripture the copying of god's word it was located differently from the other parchments that they had preserved mm-hmm. because the essenes of course had their daily business so they had their contracts and laundry lists and so forth but they also had uh, other holy books and commentaries and then they had scripture and these were not mixed up they were separated. So, uh, yes, there, is, there are wonderful uh, finds that have come out that have validated the Scripture. Uh, but other documents that are not Scripture, again, I say deliberately separated from those, but they give us still insight into the Essene community, their everyday life, uh, their values, their culture. And, and some people, I mean, from what I've read about them, because I've been actually studying them for quite a long time, but um, not from nationally main sources. I think it's his leaky or some the man uh, that uh, has translated some of that. But he says they were um, most of them were vegetarians. They didn't eat meat. Now that may be wrong. Um, they said some of them it. were celibate. Yeah. Um, they had very very strict rules of cleanliness as yes. well, yeah. and um, very dedicated yeah. practice. Yes. And I, what I've read is that the. Some of the community of Mary and, and before were actually Essenes that were from the yeah. Essene community. It could be. The Essenes, uh, you know, it's not that far away. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is that this community is in a desolate part, and it's narrow. There's severe cliffs mm-hmm. on the Jerusalem side, and then there's the Dead Sea. And, of course, the Dead Sea is, you know, has it's called Dead Sea because it doesn't provide any fish or any life and. Let's see. So you have all these travelers going north to south uh, along the coast of the Dead Sea. They can't travel inland very far because of the steep cliffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these caves in the Essene community are located, we're not talking about a mile or apart. We're talking about, at the most, a few hundred yards mm. from the Dead Sea. So what struck me as we're down there is... There are travelers going north-south mm-hmm. through this part of the country. They are 
50 or 100 yards from the wall of the cliffs on one side, 50 or 100 yards from the sea on the other side. And anybody can see these caves as they're walking on the road. And it occurred to me, why wouldn't, in the 2,000 years of travelers, yeah. somebody duck into the cave to get out of a storm or, mm-hmm. or to get out of the sun or something to sleep there overnight in their travels? And why didn't they clean out these caves from the jars that were in there, whether they cared for the scrolls or not? But God sovereignly kept those yeah. in the caves yeah. undetected until Israel became a nation in 1948 is uh-huh. when most of them were taken out of there. Uh, that's an interesting point. I hadn't ever thought of that. And I, that's what was so impressive to me because you see the caves yeah. and you saw pictures in the textbooks, you mm-hmm. know, the caves of the Qumran, okay? Yeah. But I thought they were in such a remote area. I thought area. they were back a ways. I, I didn't realize they were so close. You're, you're, in, in fact, my first earlier trips, you were a lot closer. And I could have scurried down from the bus uh, and gone up the hill, you know, it's maybe 30, 40 feet in the air. But you could probably get up to the cave mm-hmm. yourself without too much difficulty. And I'm thinking, how did they – there's no seal on them, no door mm-hmm. or anything. How did they just remain intact for yeah. 2,000 years? Yeah, it is It is amazing. But you, you'll you see it. They're very close. You can get it. You can throw how, a stone How in. much time do you have in Jerusalem? We have most of the time in Jerusalem. So oh, on good. a 12-day trip – we have at least uh, six days in Jerusalem. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's where most of the action is. I think I was only there for two or three days, and I kind of wished I'd had more time. I mean, in that time, of course, I did go the Garden of Gethsemane. I did, you know, the mm-hmm. Nativity. I did the— you want to um, do that? Yeah, the Last Supper, and, um, and I'm trying to remember what else. But it was the Wailing Wall, of course, mm-hmm. the Wailing Wall. Yeah. I bought a, a little oil lamp. I'm sure you bought a few of oh, those yeah. lamps, yeah, right? Yeah, no, I love them. <laughs> I love them. Um, but that was about it, and I think that's pretty much what, and the, and the we, museum. We scheduled our last trip last November so to have a free day. In addition to the touring days, we had a free day in Jerusalem, and there's so many wonderfully new and exciting exhibits. There was a Friends of Zion exhibit that just opened a few years ago that talked about all of the Gentile world leaders that mm-hmm. have had a— desire to help Israel, people like Churchill uh, and others whose, whose names maybe you wouldn't recognize, but British uh, soldiers and uh, others who said the Jews need a homeland and mm-hmm. they need to return to the homeland that has been theirs for, from the ancient past. And so they did whatever they could. Uh, Churchill was a great friend of Israel. And of course, we heard about the Balfour Declaration and some of these other people. But what they've done that's so remarkable in the Friends of Zion exhibit, it's all very high-tech, very interactive material with videos and sound domes and other things. Uh, Wonderful exhibit. Takes about an hour to see. But we did that on our free day. Uh You you mentioned the the Shrine of the Book where the Qumran scrolls were taken to and kept in climate-controlled cases. Uh, you want to do uh, the Israel Museum is good. We went to I didn't go there. Yeah. The the very famous picture of Ben Gurion mm-hmm. uh, reading the Declaration of Independence mm. underneath the portrait of Herzl. Now the story of Zionism is uh, is an amazing story. Uh, Herzl was not an observant Jew, but he had seen so much anti-Semitism in his day that he said, "We're never going to fix this." At the mm-hmm. very least, we need to give cho- Jews a choice to live on their own. 
And that was a deserted part of the world back then. There was hardly anyone living in that area of Israel. And so he said, one day we want to see a homeland for Jews. When it looked impossible to happen in Israel, Herzl said, well, make it happen somewhere else in the world, maybe Kenya in Africa. <laughs> really? I did not and, know that. And he, and he was moving in those directions. Well, he made a prediction uh-huh. in his life, and this was in, the, at, in Basel, Switzerland in uh, – in 1898, there was mm-hmm. a convention of Zionists, and there was, a, you know, 100, 200 people gathered, and he made a speech, and he said, I predict in 50 years there will be a homeland for the Jews. I don't know where, I don't know how, but there will be. Mm. Well, what's amazing is Ben-Gurion is reading the Declaration of Independence in May 1948, mm. exactly 50 years, exactly 50 wow. years. And so he's reading this, and he's saying, uh, you know, we are— going to be a self-determined people. The British Empire that had control of that part of the world has given a Palestinian state in Jordan. It's given a Jewish state in Israel. This is what we want to celebrate. And so there's a very famous famous picture, and you think it's in a big convention hall. It turned out it was in a guy's living room. <laughs> really? And you can find it online, yeah. but yeah. Ben-Gurion's speech, and you see Herzl's picture and Ben-Gurion's stuff. And so we went there oh, in my. Jerusalem, and you could, and, and they had a dais set up with all the dignitaries sitting mm-hmm. alongside on both sides of Ben-Gurion. And, and you, we visited, and so we all took place standing where mm-hmm. Ben-Gurion stood or around the dais, and they've, they've opened it up. That was a site that wasn't available maybe when you went, mm-hmm. but now no, it I is. No, I never heard of it even. So and Jerusalem is filled with things like that, and there's so much excavation and discovery going on. Yeah, yeah. And they have a virtual reality exhibit of the temple. The ancient temple of really? Solomon. Oh, now that would so be you very put these goggles on, and you're inside the temple wow. where the priests are offering sacrifice, and you're looking around in the holy place and the menorah and the laver and the brazen altar, and you got the goggles on. Of course, everyone else in the room thinks you're crazy because you're turning around and yeah. ooing and eye. But I think that's that's fantastic. But I yeah, would you, there's so see much that. to do, and of course, you got to mention the shops and going through the the. The uh, like the flea market. Yes, it, it's just great. So, what was your most spiritual experience in all these trips you've taken? You've gone going to the Holy Land. You mean aside from meeting my wife? Of course, that has to be number <laughs> okay. one. Wait yeah. a second, God first. <laughs> what, right. what would you say is the most? Uh, you know, again, experience? it's it's very subjective, but uh, uh, Matsada is very special. Really. Yeah, it's um, it's an ancient site. You know, it, yeah. it hits other people differently. Yeah. Our tour guide was uh, ex-military, like everybody in Israel. Right. They're all ex-military. And um, Mitzada is a very sad chapter in Israel yeah. history. It was their last stand against the Romans, and they all died. You know the story. They committed suicide at Mitzada rather than being taken into slavery by the Romans and abused and have their women abused and so on. They did a mass suicide pact. Uh, But um, for Israel, it's very significant because there's so much of the world that has been against Israel and against Jews for so long. Uh, They take, uh, even to this day, they take their tank commanders up there for their uh, commissioning service Mm. up on top of Mitzada. And the idea is that where else do we go? When, when our enemies surround us, when people want to annihilate us, when Hitler's and uh, Abdul Nasser's and others come against us to say we will drive them into the sea, we will, we will wipe them out, where are they going to go? 
And the people of Mitsada faced that. And the guide that we had just brought it across so powerfully that surrender can't be an option for Jewish people because they will ultimately all be annihilated. And so Mitsada is powerful. It's just powerful in bringing that across. So, uh, you know, at that level, uh, I already talked about the Church of the Nativity, the birthplace of Jesus. Uh, the The garden tomb is The garden a, uh, is, was very, very, very powerful. For it me. is, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and more than, how would I say, it's, it drove me very into a very contemplative state. Yes. Um, there's others that's kind of inspiring. There's some that kind of are uplifting. But I have to say there... I really did feel transformed in time um, that I actually, because there is enough of the vines still there mm-hmm. that are very, very old. And I think plants hold energy, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. even more than buildings. And by being in that area, I just was really driven to be very, very reflective and and, yeah. and um, kind of let myself be taken by that energy yeah. that's there. Yeah. And there is an energy there that's very powerful. That on my first trip and my first visit to the Garden Tomb, it, it's so so much more of what you would expect uh, to experience God in that it's a garden. And I, I don't have anything against churches, but yeah. when I'm going through these massive edifices, uh, garishly decorated people in robes and swinging incensers it doesn't make me feel closer to God if anything it makes me it's very alien to me my Jewish background mm-hmm. but when you get out in nature and you're around the trees the olive trees some mm-hmm. of which as you pointed out were alive 2,000 years ago uh, and you're under an open sky and you're where there are flowers blooming and so on that's where I can feel closer to God and um, I was so I delighted that this garden tomb was not encased in a structure, yes. in a building. And, so, you know, I have to bring up, I went to Fatima. Have you been to Fatima? No, I'd love to. Um, well, we're going to do a trip to Portugal in October if you want to come. But um, I went to Fatima, and they, you know, talk about that. They had this huge cathedral they built, um, of course, mm-hmm. to Mary, and... Um, and then there's a couple structures in a big, I mean, almost as large as the ground in front of St. Peter's area, the huge courtyard. Um, but Fatima actually saw Mary in trees. And when she had the vision, it wasn't just out of nowhere. She saw Mary, the vision, each time above the trees. Now, hmm. <laughs> in the way people are, the actual tree that she saw the vision was completely ripped apart and all the pieces of it taken. I think oh. they have one-eighth or one-quarter of an inch of the original tree left because people, all the pilgrims... Took the samples, Took yeah. the tree. Mm. Um, but just behind the huge cathedral, and most people don't go behind. There's a walkway around, and there are trees, some of them very, very old, old enough, I'm sure, that they were there yeah. when Fatima was there and um, the brother and sister. So those trees... I sat under them. You can see they have a little round thing around them. There's about six of them. I mean, the trees started rustling and moving, and mm-hmm. the light came through the clouds, and I'm going, okay, people in church, you should be under <laughs> Out these here, trees, right. Right? right? This is where well, the I, living I feel energy as you do. is, you know? I feel as you do about that. You yeah. know, nature is a much easier way to connect with God 
I mean, God's fingerprints are in nature. God, yeah. the, the scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Mm-hmm. And so if we obstruct the firmament and the heavens with roofs, ceilings, and fixtures, we're not doing we're not doing our best to reveal God's handiwork. Every morning when I go out, to, before I go to meditate, I get about three or four to meditate and pray every morning. But when I, before I meditate, I go out under the stars. I put my hands straight out like a cross and, my, and I bring the energy down and then as light and um, hands out as love and a living cross and bring the star energy down. And it changes the energy. It changes my energy totally being mm. under the stars and, and connecting with that after sleeping inside all. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't sleep under the stars very often, <laughs> but I do get out in the morning and feel that energy. And I really recommend that anyone traveling anywhere at any time, because we've only got a minute and a half left, that you get out in nature, that you get to yeah. the spots. Maybe oh, the yeah. buildings have taken over, but try to find some place. And there's always some place you can go nearby that has that original yeah. energy of nature, because this this is the, the ground. This is the creation. Yeah. This is the creator's energy. And it's, it's powerful, and it's, I mean, you can connect with that energy. I'd like to say two things in closing before we finish the program. First of all, I'd like to reiterate people to get in touch with us. Yes, they might please. be interested, just even to explore the idea of going to Israel. Get in touch with us at our website or church at Maui.net. Send us an email with your contact information. We'll give you all the information. Or call our number, 572-8384. But the other thing I want to say is Israel is coming alive in a way that no one can fully explain in the natural. When we were there last November, almost every acre of land was turned into farmland. Wow. When you were there, when I was there the first time, it was desolate. Mm-hmm. Some farming areas up north, but now everywhere you garden. go, farmland, it's yeah. turning into a garden, just like the pro- prophecy yeah. Yeah. of Isaiah said. Well, it's a blessing to be able to talk to you, and we want to wish everyone a blessed Christmas. Great. Merry Christmas. Um, That's true. Really, really uh, special to be able to be here with you, and and we Thank really you. do hope everyone has a little time uh, in between all the gift-giving and wrapping and everything else to really experience that spirit, the true spirit of Christmas um, mm-hmm. with the love and the family and with Christ. For sure. And, and uh, with the blessings of Christ in their heart. And don't forget Mary, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm ambassador for Mary. Thank you so much for coming today. A delight. Aloha. Cindy, thank you. Aloha.